You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, and welcome back to Fly on the Call. I realized that I haven't said the number in a while, but we're now up to episode 66, which sounds so substantial and gets us one step closer to triple digits later this year. And so many great guests between now and then. Like today's guest, the Sonderbombs. The band is set to release their sophomore LP, Clothbound, tomorrow via Take This Heart Records and Big Scary Monsters. The album has major range both lyrically and sonically, dealing with themes of anger, sadness, pain, and self-reflection and analysis. As you can guess with ukulele-based music that generally falls into punk-leaning borders, it goes everywhere from light and bubbly sounds to heavy, dark, and brooding. Clothbound is a journey that forces you to pay attention. I wanted to kind of start off by talking about um, Crying is Cool, which I feel like is kind of a very nail on the head song, but it's also catchy as hell. Um, Thank you. (laughs) And I know it started off with like kind of a personal writing session when you were home from tour and kind of feeling low. And then you joked that it'd be funny to use it as the base to write a kid's album, but were eventually kind of convinced to put it onto Clothbound. Um, so can you kind of take me through that transformation process from its original inception to like the finished album version? Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, so last week, or not last week, oh my God, <laughs> you can tell that I forgot time is real. Um, last year, I did a run of touring that was about like nine weeks. Um, and so part of that was a solo tour that I did with uh, Neil Hilborn. He's a poet. Um, and then the first half of it was a full band tour. That was when we were on the road with just friends and save face. Um, so after that though, when I finally got home and I was done touring for the year and I didn't have anything else booked, I was like in a very low spot, you know, because when you're, I feel like that much stimulation over such a long period of time and like all of that excitement, then coming home and like the house just being quiet and, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, you don't know what to do with all this energy and you don't know what to do with the schedule that you've kind of made for yourself with when you're on the road, which most musicians know it's, it can be pretty um, unpredictable. So after that, I was kind of like, you know, coming down from the high of tour and uh, I was having a really hard time processing my emotions because that was a really rough tour uh, or not even, it wasn't even that the tour was rough. It was just a rough time for me. My grandpa had died right before I uh, left for tour a couple weeks before. Um, so it was hard to be away from my family that long right after, you know, losing 
like the most important member of our family. So, um, so when I got home, I, I was, you know, just trying to process stuff and, uh, I was having a really hard time, like actually letting myself cry and kind of release those emotions. Uh, and yeah, I was like jokingly just kind of like writing this little dinky song for myself to, you know, not only like genuinely cheer myself up, but also to like make myself laugh. <laughs> um, and I think I sent like a voice memo into the group chat with, uh, you and Cappy, right, Jimmy? Yeah. 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 Um, I sent like a little voice memo. I was like, haha, look at this, look at this funny little thing I wrote. And, um, Cappy, uh, immediately it was like, well, we're going to use that. Right. Like I want to write to that. And I'm like, no, we're not going to use that. Like this is trash. <laughs> I remember we had a, a writing session like a few weeks after that. Yeah. Where the three of us got together to like jam and we were working on other songs that ended up on Clothbound. And then Cappy he, brought it up again. Yeah. Cappy, Cappy was like, he didn't let it go. <laughs> like Can we jam on that crying song. And then he like wrote that baseline and we we're like, all right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's kind of how it just, yeah, that's how it came to be. <laughs> and what was kind of like the difference between what it sounded like in your head when you were kind of like composing it originally versus how it sounds like now, the finished product? Oh my God, it was so depressing. <laughs> it was so <laughs> depressing. Um, it was played a lot slower. Um, I mean, yeah, like when I, I think the first like demo I sent y'all was, uh, it was just me and ukulele. It was just like a, like a phone recording. Um, and it was a lot slower, wasn't so upbeat. Um, I think I kept the lyrics pretty much the same for yeah. most of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it didn't have like that energy. Um, and I think it, when I first wrote it, it wasn't at like, a, I didn't, I don't think I initially wrote it from a place of like positivity, you know, um, which is what the song turned into. I, I love what it is now. I think it's like, mm -hmm a really strong anthem for like vulnerability. And um, I love what it turned into, but yeah, no, it was not that originally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, lyrically, um, Clothbound goes kind of like further than female rock star. Like it keeps a lot of the same anger, but kind of steps forward with that kind of vulnerable and self-analysis side of things. I'm curious what kind of like led to that switch for you. Well, I think, um... I mean, our, our lineup is a lot different now too, you know, um, Cappy and Jair both have made like amazing additions to the band. Um, so obviously that's going to change the sound of the music, you know? Uh, but I, I think, um, therapy, therapy. <laughs> um, so I don't think I was in therapy for most of like the writing of Clothbound, but, uh, nearing the release of MFR was when I like first started to try to see a therapist again and explore like new ways of processing my emotions. Uh, and MFR is like a very angry record. Whereas Clothbound, I think I got to a point in my songwriting where like I, and it's not even just songwriting. I think it's also, you know, a part of life that when you have like a lot of anger built up, there's always something underneath that, you know? And so I think Clothbound is, doing more than just like scratching the surface. I think um, I was able to like, you know, really like look deeper within myself and try to figure out why I was so angry and take from that, you know? Sure. And I mean, obviously like the ukulele is something that 
makes the sonar bombs very unique and it's kind of like central to your sound. Um, and I'm curious, like without, you know, very many artists who kind of like use the instrument in a, you know, like a really important way, like kind of how did you um, go about like developing the sound and kind of fitting it into the, the loose boundaries of punk music? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think, honestly, it's, it's, I feel like it's pretty much the same for like what you did, Jimmy, you know, like you started playing guitar and you were listening to punk. And so you just made punk with your guitar. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, I kind of just did the same thing with ukulele, you know, um, it was never, it was never really like a conscious decision. Like, okay, I'm going to try to play ukulele and I'm going to try to write this kind of music on it. And, um, confuse people. It was, <laughs> it was always just like, I fell in love with the instrument and I just wanted to make whatever music I wanted with it. Yeah. I guess I, I didn't really think about it um, being that different until we started like actually playing shows and then we would get lumped in with like a lot of um, folk or like Americana. And that's, I think when me and Jimmy like kind of really started looking at each other and thinking about like, wait a second, this isn't what we're doing. Like this yeah. isn't the sound that we're developing. Um, and then we just kind of shifted lanes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what, what was like, what did some of that like initial exploration look like for you? It's kind of all over the place. It was. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for Modern Female Rockstar, um, every song for the most part sounds radically different from each other. And I think a lot of that is because we were still figuring out what kind of band we wanted to be while we were writing a lot of them. And then once we kind of figured out what kind of band we wanted to be, then we tried to like alter some of those songs a little bit to fit that like punk energy. But like some of those songs didn't start out as punk songs. It kind of just mm -hmm. evolved into them once we figured out like, okay, we're going to be loud and aggressive. How can we make some of these songs louder and more aggressive? Yeah. And I mean, like it, it was also a lot of it was about like having fun at shows. Like when we write songs, there's definitely moments um, as a band where we'll be like, like where we'll all be jamming, like trying to develop a song and somebody will be like, oh my God, and we should do this here because imagine how the crowd will react when we play it live. So like, I think that kind of energy that we get from live shows has always been a driving force, mm -hmm. which is why, um, I don't know. And I mean, music has changed a lot just in the five years that we've been a band. So yeah. like as music change, changes and um, I mean, we want to change with it and like keep yeah. the energy up because it's all about the shows. It's all about the fun that we have at shows. Yeah. And I mean, with not being able to perform them around the release of Cloth on how is that kind of like affecting the way that you're feeling about the rollout? Um, I mean, it's definitely challenging. Uh, it's a very difficult year um, for, I think, a lot of creative people. Mm -hmm because we are like limited to what we can do via like our phones, you know? Hmm. And I'm one of those people where like, <laughs> since we started the band, I'm like, okay, I just want to get big enough where we can realistically hire a social media manager because I hate <laughs> doing this shit. So like to actually now be forced to rely on all, um, on all social media like platforms to get our music out there. It's, it's definitely been a struggle. Like, it's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah, and, like, there's also that, uh, we're missing that instant gratification where, like, we release a song and we go play a show and we have, like, 30 to 50, 100 people, like, 
responding to it in real time we're not getting that yeah so it's hard to tell like sometimes like do people actually like the new stuff or like yeah that's true because we don't really have like we don't have the face-to-face like reactions we don't get the stank face you know yeah exactly exactly <laughs> when jimmy plays a new riff and somebody yeah, in the yeah. crowd is just like oh yeah yeah then, you know, <laughs> the algorithms are so picky and like sometimes like you make a post and it just gets buried and then you're like oh this do people hate us now? And then you realize like, no, it's like, it's all a mental game. Yeah. So it's, it's <laughs> basically what we're saying though, is that it's torture. <laughs> it's, it's awful. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like the therapy aspect is definitely uh, probably something you've been leaning into as well. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. therapist, every time, every time we release a song, she's like, so you have a release coming up. How are you feeling? And I'm like, girl, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of months ago how kind of like all the songs on Modern Female Rockstar are kind of like radically different. Um, but with the, the four songs that you've released from Clothbound so far, those kind of show a, a different side of the range of the album. And I'm curious kind of like how you went about picking the singles and especially like the order of releasing the singles, because I mean, I think releasing K as the, the final single before the album is a lot different than it would have been if that was the first single that you released. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I think we kind of wanted to like ease people in to the next record. I think that was kind of the methodology behind it because mm-hmm. for instance, the first single we released, What Are Friends For? Um, that was the one that we all kind of looked at as the most similar to, or the most likely one that would also be on MFR. You know, it, it sounds like a new and improved MFR song. Um, and mm-hmm. so it felt like a good transition to kind of introduce like, okay, hey, we have this new re- record. Here's like what, you, what you've liked before, yeah. but better. Um, and then, you know, as as the singles have progressed, we've kind of gotten farther away from that. So um, it'll be nice because the next, or because Clothbound doesn't really sound like MFR um, in any way, except for that first single, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, K being the one that kind of probably goes the hardest, both sonically and lyrically on the album. Um, I know it deals kind of with like accountability and the way people conduct themselves when, you know, it's called out that they've made a mistake. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that and like the mindset when writing it? Yeah. I mean, I I do think like, yeah, for the most part, it is pretty uh, self-explanatory lyrically um, and just like energy wise, like, you know, I'm, I'm fucking pissed off and I'll probably never not be pissed off by the lack of, um, as you said, accountability that, especially within music, um, something that I've noticed since, uh, really like working within the industry and like actually trying to like make this band thing more than just playing like house shows, you know, which like, don't get me wrong. I love that shit. No, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying, but like when we decided that we really wanted to try to make it work and potentially make it a career, which is, you know, what we're still working towards. Um, but it became more apparent that um, once you start gaining a platform, like you have a really important responsibility, uh, especially when there are kids that listen to your music, which we do have children that listen to our music and they'll show up to shows with their parents. And it's like really cool because I, I want to be, I want us to be the band that I wish that I had had when I was growing up as like a little girl, you know? Um, but that being said, it's really important uh, 
the way we use our platforms. And when we do make mistakes, the way that we react to those and we react to being um, corrected. I, I, I don't love fucking up, but I love being corrected. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like causing harm, but I love knowing what I have so that I can write it and that I can like set an example of what to do and like how to take my mistakes with grace, you know, and it, it's happened before. And I'm, I get really frustrated when people who have even bigger platforms than we do don't take those opportunities and they don't use their voice and they don't um, take responsibility, especially when they're being harmful. So that's kind of what that song is about. (laughs) It's really infuriating, you know, especially when I see other bands that have like bigger platforms that also have kids like following their music and like looking up to them. And then, you know, they're not, being the best role models that they can. And that disappoints me. It makes me mad. Yeah, I mean, what, what would be like an example of like an ideal way that someone would handle something? I mean, okay, well, for instance, I'll use an example that uh, happened with me this uh, this year. So I tweeted something a um, couple months ago and I didn't know that my tweet, like I didn't know that I was using, um, what is it called? It's, uh, A-A-V-E, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't know that I was using that. And I tweeted that and somebody immediately responded and was like, hey, this is like cringe when white people say this. And I saw that. And at first I was like, oh my God, like I didn't mean to, but then I, you know, I didn't, I I looked it up uh, and I was like, holy shit, like, this is awesome. Like, thank you for educating me and thank you for telling me. And then I just took the tweet down because like, my thing is like, I wouldn't have known if somebody didn't say something to me and I appreciated the feedback because now I know, you know, and now I can help other people if I see them using the same kind of like verbiage or something. Yeah. It's certainly like one of the ca- like cases like that are when ignorance isn't bliss. <laughs> exactly. It's and it's like, not, yeah. and it's like, what is the point of doubling down and trying to be like, well, that's not how I meant it. It's like, shut the fuck up and take the criticism and take responsibility for making a mistake. Intent does not Intent, equal impact. Yes, exactly. Or excuse impact or yes, whatever in, that expression is. In, yeah, exactly. Intent does not equal impact. And that's basically like kind of the theme of that song. You know what I mean? It's like, you can say that you have great intentions, but if somebody comes to you and says that you are doing something uh, harmful or you are being irresponsible, especially with your platform, it's like, you need to take that consideration and you need to like really sit with those words. Yeah. And it also doesn't mean like you're a bad person. It just means that. No, of course not. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's born. I mean, especially like in the society that we, at least like American, like white American society, it's like, we, we've really been conditioned to just suck. And so like, there's a, like in, in the first step of not sucking so much anymore is realizing that you suck and that you're gonna suck and you're gonna make mistakes but as long as you you know are actively trying and seeking out learning opportunities and stuff like no one's born knowing everything about everything yeah I mean that's impossible and I think um people get really blinded by their by their pride um and they don't really open themselves up to that kind of critique or um you know what I mean yeah, and, and like the kind of knee-jerk reaction to like, oh, I did something wrong. Like, 
that kind of like where your mind jumps to the conclusion, like that means they're saying I'm a bad person. (laughs) Right. Which, you know, isn't true. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned kind of like how you want to be the band that you wish that you had when you were growing up. And I'm, I'm guessing like a big part of that is kind of like the, the confidence in the way you present yourself. And um, I mean, I feel like the Sonder Bombs has kind of been held up as an example of kind of like what it means to be a powerful woman in music. Uh, I'm curious how you kind of like feel about that and how it kind of affects the way you, you handle yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely like, it's changed a lot of, things, not just like musically, but also in my personal life, you know, like, um, it, it does, it makes me more considerate of the things that I'm putting out into the world and the things that I, you know, want to be vocal about. Like, I think, I think, I think it's important to have like, you know, representation. When I was a little girl, I didn't really have like, I mean, of course there were like women in music, but like, I didn't have examples of that. Like I didn't, I, I remember being in high school and like all the kids that were in bands were boys. And when I would want to like jam with somebody, like they would shoot me down because they're like, oh, well, we don't want to be in a band with a girl, which like, it, it's so strange, but like, I don't know. That's something that's really sit with me, like sat with me for a long time. And I think um, just like, the older I get, the more comfortable I feel being myself. And I don't feel like I have to prove anything to anybody. And I think um, even just with MFR, like MFR, I, a lot of those songs are about proving not just to other people, but also to myself that like I deserve to be here and that I deserve to take up space. Um, and I don't know, like I, it's, it's, it has changed a lot for me for sure. Like, yeah, <laughs> to say to say it wouldn't change a lot for me would be crazy. I mean, it's it's done a lot for us yeah, being absolutely. in music, Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I can answer that question for you. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it was on the uh, interview you did recently with Emo Social Club, where you kind of talked about you know the bright sound of the ukulele mixed with like the the dissonant chords that you often play. And how it kind of forces, you know, unique and interesting guitar and bass parts to kind of match that. Um, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that and kind of like the balancing of things like the tone and the volume within the song. Oh, well, that is definitely a great question for Jimmy, because (laughs) I don't know what chords I play at all. (laughs) I have absolutely no understanding of music theory or the ukulele. I literally just noodle around. So most of the burden for the rest of the song <laughs> falls on Jimmy, who like has to figure out what the fuck notes I'm playing. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a challenge. Um, I've gotten a lot better at it, but you know, with MFR, it it took a long long time to kind of figure <clears throat> out the formula um, that Willow was creating. But uh, yeah, like Willow plays a lot of dissonant chords on the ukulele, but because it's like such a a, a bright and happy sounding instrument like even though the notes should clash they don't clash but if i were to play those same chords on guitar they would clash yeah it would sound crazy (laughs) so like often i have to like um figure out the root note of the chord and then decide um which other note from that same chord which kind of dissonant (laughs) yeah which which note of the of the chord uh makes more sense in context of the song the vibe does it clash with the vocal melody? Um, yeah, definitely. Cetera, like vibe, I think is the big thing that we go yeah. for. Like 
we'll like <laughs> sometimes Jimmy will just be kind of like uh riffing off of like like the bare bones is what I call my parts because it's usually just lyrics and uh ukulele and not very complicated ukulele at that but so when Jimmy starts developing the song off the bare bones like there's a lot of times where he'll be riffing and I'll hear a chord that he plays and I'll immediately be like Jimmy stop what you're doing play that chord again and then like we have to kind of figure it out that way. Yeah, so it's a lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of like yelling and mm -hmm. um, excitement <laughs> when yeah. we write songs. And then, uh, yeah, I think it's also, uh, I'm very percussive with like the guitar parts that I write for this band. And I think a lot of that is because if I was playing more bendy notes or something, it would really clash because of the dissonance of the ukulele. So I'm very like rhythmic with the types of leads and parts I come up with. And then Cappy shows up after you and I have like, 60% of the song written and here's like the first chord and like doesn't even think about it he just writes a bass line and like three minutes later oh he has the whole song and it's like the glue that puts it all together yeah Cappy is effortless it's yeah. crazy and it takes him no time at all to write anything uh and one of my favorite parts on the album is um like on the intro track Papillon when the kind of like every now and then uh like melody line uh oh could, yeah the chorus yeah yeah could you tell me a little bit about how like that one came together yeah that's totally. a great story that is a good story <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um so that one that song originally did not have any kind of chorus um i started writing it didn't i start did i start writing it before the meal tour I think that was one of the first songs you started writing after MFR. Okay, yeah. I think it was so, way before the Neil tour. Yeah, so that that was one of the first songs that we demoed. Um, and I remember I played that one live uh, when I was doing the solo tour because I was trying out a lot of new material for this next record on that tour just to see how people like would respond to it. And um, it was fun because I kind of got to like develop the songs as tour went on. But yeah, originally, so that song did not have a chorus. Um, and when we started working with Joe uh, at Headroom, we had like a few calls back and forth before we went into the studio. And one of the calls, he was like, hey, this song like needs a chorus. And I fought him on it. I fought him a couple times on it. And he mm -hmm. kept saying the song needs a chorus. And then finally, like what, maybe like a week before we went to the studio, I was like, okay, fuck it. I'll just write a chorus. <laughs> and then you like hold that out of your ass. And, yeah. And I think that chorus, I think that was like the first try, uh, which is what I came up with for that one. So, and I was really stoked about it. And now it is definitely my favorite song I've ever written. So thank you, Joe. Yeah. Shout out Joe. <laughs> shout, out, shout out Joe Reinhardt. I love it. And I mean, how was, what was the kind of like recording process, you know, considering it was, you know, recorded during quarantine, like how did that kind of go and how did it uh, like differ from MFR? Well, we were living in the studio for Clothbound, um, which was like the first big difference. MFR was recorded, what, like over a month or so period, just kind of going back and forth on the weekends or mm -hmm. whenever we could schedule time. Um, and it was also only like an hour away from where we lived. So with Clothbound, it's like we're going to another city, we're living in the studio, and we're just like, um, like, what is it? <laughs> like, like eating breathing and living like the record <laughs> yeah. just like writing it and um so it was cool I mean it, it was definitely scary because of the pandemic mm -hmm. um and we were quarantined in the studio 
And we were lucky that none of us, you know, got sick. We were very safe, obviously. I mean, we were like, uh, the, the studio was so clean too. They were like wiping down doorknobs and stuff. Anytime somebody walk out of a room. So like, yeah. And there are pretty strict rules in place of like, um, yeah. you don't have to wear a mask in the live room, but if you're leaving a live room to go into the control room, you have to wear a mask for that three foot walk. Like they're very like on point about, yeah. uh, safety measures. Well, and that was, that was also before, um, tw- testing was like widespread. That was before like CV, you could go to CVS and get like a rapid test. So like, we were being very, very, very careful. Um, and so that aspect of it was like very stressful. Uh, and it was also during the Black Lives Matter protests. So um, there was like curfews every night because the city of Philly was trying to get all of the protesters in trouble and like be able to fucking arrest them for being out late. So we were really only getting what, like six hours a day recording. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had very limited time to get the record done we had two weeks of um days booked but most of those days were half days because of the curfews so um that was challenging and near the end of it it was we were really getting down to the wire and i was kind of scared but we pulled it together somehow yeah we did a couple of uh post-production things where um there's like one particular vocal part that we redid um in our apartment where we just re-recorded the vocals for it um we forgot a vocal part in one of the songs <laughs> Oh yeah, we did. We, we forgot in K the uh, think about the things. Think about the things. We forgot the second one, so we did that one in yeah, our apartment. <laughs> that was actually really funny too because it was like the last night, so like we had just finished because that was the last song that we did because we had to scream and I didn't want to like blow out my voice early on in the recording pr- process. So the last thing that we did for the record was the scream for K, and. I remember like maybe 20 minutes after that, like we're all drinking beers and we're like partying we're like listening to the record uh, through the speech, through the monitors. And um, Joe walks in and he's like wrapping up a cable and I, it just like hits me. I'm like, holy shit, we forgot a part. And he was like, nope, nope. And he just kept <laughs> wrapping up the cable. <laughs> he's like, just do it at home. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how did that, like, condensed recording process, how has that, like, affected the way um, you felt about, or you feel about the album now that you're kind of a little bit farther removed from it? I mean, I think, um, I think, like, like, now that, now that we are a bit farther removed from it, now that the album's done, and, like, I know that we all fucking love it, and that it, like, to us, as a band, it's a perfect record, so um, we're really excited about it now. It's, yeah. but it was scary there for a minute. Cause I'm like, how is this gonna come together? Yeah, every day uh, that went by, we're like, this is not possible. We're not gonna finish it. There's no we're way. We have to like come back. We're like- 10 songs in 14 days, what? Yeah, with half days <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, but we, we pulled it out of our ass. Like we, yeah, we, we finished it with like minutes to spare. <laughs> for real. And I mean, considering it's kind of been like a little bit of an extended, um, release uh especially considering how popular like surprise releases and just full album drops have come uh what are you kind of most excited about for people to have when they have the full album i'm excited for them to uh hear the whole thing in context of how it's supposed to sound yeah because when i listen to the singles i know what the other songs sound like so like i i know i'm not getting the same experience that like people who only have the singles have that's true we are very particular about the way we wanted um songs to kind of like slide into each other or like the transitions between energy like 
as you listen to the record straight through, you're very, 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 very particular about that. Mm. Um, so, and, and especially because the record itself is kind of, it's a little all over the place. I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of new stuff that we've done on this record. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, like for instance, crying is cool. Like I think that as a, as a single, it's, it's great because it's super catchy, but also like to feel it in context of the rest of the songs on the record, I think it's going to be more important than just the single release of it. You know, I, I'm a vi- big uh, vinyl guy. So I'm excited to see uh, pictures of the, the ghostly variant. <laughs> oh yeah. I want people to get their hands on that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait to, I know. I'm like, I hope we can get some. <laughs> like, yeah. we can get one. like, obviously I want those to sell out, but it'd be cool if like, maybe we sell like four less than selling out. So yes. we can each have one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like if I was in a band, I'm like a hoarder. So I would be like, I need to have at least one of every single variant. <laughs> That's literally what Jimmy's been talking uh, about. He's like, I want to collect all the variants. That's, yeah, I'm definitely the, uh, I want one of everything in the band, except for the clothing. Like the clothing, I kind of pick and choose the ones I want, but like everything else, every physical release, I want one of everything. Well, and the one the one variant that we thought we weren't going to get was going to be the Big Scary Monsters one, but then they emailed us like last week and we're like, hey, what's your address? We'll send you a couple. So yeah. <laughs> now we get that cool like splattered one and that's the one I'm very excited for. Yeah. It looks delicious. Yeah, I'm gonna take a big old bite out of that mm, sound bagel. Yummy. <laughs> forbidden, the forbidden bagel. Forbidden bagel. <laughs> awesome. And I mean, I I like to wrap up every episode the same way, which is just by asking for either a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately that you'd like to share, um, whether it's about music or life in general, kind of just whatever's on your mind. Everyone always nails it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Takes the pressure off. Well, like every life lesson I've learned in therapy the past three months is just completely gone from my brain right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. I think one that's, that I've been going back to over and over again is that I'm doing my best. Yeah. And my best is good enough. And if somebody else doesn't think my best is good enough, that's a, that's a their problem, not my problem. Yeah, honestly, I would love to second that one. I think that's really good advice. Um especially like for musicians who are just kind of starting out whether they're in our, our like scene or not. Um, I, there, there is, it feels at times that there's a lot of competition and that you, you know, you, you need to look uh, to other bands to see what they're doing right to like get and you know, I, my thing is like, don't get so caught up in the numbers because like Jimmy said, like we're all doing the best that we can and that's, all that matters and as long as you're being a fucking good person yeah do your best yeah be true to yourself and then it'll happen eventually and it might happen in two months might happen in two years it might happen in 10 years but it'll happen yeah if you're just who knows you might it. blow up on tiktok yeah no <laughs> <laughs> for sure yeah i i do just have to add to that i can't hear you say i'm doing my best without hearing meet me at the altar <laughs> oh my god i love them that, that band is amazing I discovered them actually in the studio and I made everybody listen to them like on a loop. So yeah. <laughs> do you remember that? I, do. I was like, it's like, you guys have to hear this fucking band. There's a lot of that, a lot of watching holes over and over again. Oh yes. Holes. <laughs> oh, I haven't thought about that movie in forever. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. That's like yeah. classic Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> yes. Teaching kids about the prison industrial complex. Yeah. <laughs> he loved to see it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, is there anything else that uh, we haven't hit on that you've been itching to get out about the album? 
Hmm. Um, God, I don't know. I mean, there's so much, there's so much, <laughs> but I can't, I can't really land. I'm just very excited for everybody to hear it. So. Yeah. Every, every single song has a moment on it that I'm like, I can't wait for people to hear that for the first time. Yeah. And <laughs> so know? it'll be nice to figure out which moments people pick for themselves or if they pick the ones that we've curated for them. Who yeah. knows? Don't forget to check out Clothbound when it drops tomorrow. The Sonderbombs have really upped their game and are sure to be an early addition to many year-end lists. Pre-orders are still available with super cool merch like sleep masks, bath bombs, and handkerchiefs, so check out the show notes for those links and more. Flying the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Sills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyOnTheCallPod at gmail.com. Do your best to be your best. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.